Morning, church. As central and as important it is for us to love other people in our church community, it's really hard. A church community is made up of other people who are very different from us, and loving people who are different from us is stretching for us. It's hard to love people that you don't have things in common with. It's hard to love people who are still maturing and in a lot of ways aren't mature yet. It's hard to love people who are awkward, which I have been informed that I am one of them. <laughs> it's hard to love people who don't love you in return, who are not grateful when you love them. Yet John teaches in this letter that it's specifically loving our church community that is one of the evidences that we are children of God, that our God gives to us to affirm us and give us assurance. So far, we've learned in this letter that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But the problem is, there's darkness in me and there's darkness in you. And so it's up to God to help us. And he sent Jesus to be our advocate and our rescuer. And now there's a new kind of person besides the kind of person who's in darkness and does not know God. There's the person who is in the light and does know God. And so the biggest question we want to ask is, do I know God? Am I his follower? And this morning we're going to see one of the chief evidences, I'm trying to turn on my microphone here, I'm sorry. Is it on? Is that working? How about that? Okay, it's green, but if it's not working, maybe I'll just stand here behind the podium. Or is it, is it working now? No? Okay, I'll just stand here behind the podium. Thanks for your patience with that. Is the, one of the chief ways that we know that we belong to God is how we treat other people in our church family. So because of how hard that is, we want help with that. And thankfully, the Apostle John is going to give us some help with that in this passage this morning. So let's dive into this passage this morning and learn from him and from our Lord how we can love one another better. So let's take a look now at verse 3 of chapter 2. And it says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We can know that we have come to know him. Know who? Well, the one that John is writing about in this section is to know God, who is light. What does it mean to know God? To know God isn't to know things about God. It's to have a deep relationship with God. One that we're so desperate for and need so badly that you could say it's your source of life. John even says earlier in his gospel about Jesus, he, he writes that Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. To know God is the relationship that we all need so badly that it's our source of life. I want that for me. I want that for all of us. 
So how do we know if we have come to know him? How do we know if we're in a relationship with the living God? John writes, if we keep his commandments. What does it mean to keep his commandments? It means that those who know God authentically have a normal lifestyle of doing what he says, both fulfilling what he's commanded them to do and abstaining from the things he's told them not to do. Notice that I said normally and not always. Did you guys hear that word? Normally and not always. Right, John wrote earlier in this letter that if anyone says that he does not have sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so all of us, no matter how long we've walked with Jesus, are still going to have moments where we sin, aren't we? So the question then is how do we respond to those moments? How we respond to our sin is what marks God's people out from the world. How the world tends to respond is that, how our old self tends to respond is that when we sin, we just keep indulging it as long as it makes us happy, as long as we want to walk in that sin without any sense of needing God's mercy or help or deliverance. We just continue to live how we want to live without reference to God. But on the other hand, someone who knows God turns to God for his mercy asks him for forgiveness, receives forgiveness, and starts walking in and committing that sin less and less each day as that person continues to walk with God. So the question I want to ask myself and I want to ask you this morning is how are we responding to our sin? Is it just something that we stumble into and keep committing and keep walking without any reference to God? Or at the moment of sin, are our hearts struck? Do we turn to him and ask for mercy? And do we begin to walk with him and commit that sin less and less and less? That's what it is to keep his commandments. To have a heart orientation to when you don't, wanting to return and wanting to grow in being a commandment keeper. Jesus rescues us apart from anything we ever do or don't do. You don't get rescued by your commandment keeping. Rather, it's commandment keeping that shows that we've been rescued by him. Right? One of the things he does is he not only forgives you for breaking his commandments, is he turns you into a commandment keeper. That's a really glorious and beautiful thing. And when you know him, you walk out a lifestyle of commandment keeping. It's such a sweet thing when you see this in your own life, when you see this in someone else's life. That someone else's life is so sweet. So characterized by living according to God's wisdom and God's word, that when you interact with that person, you're like, that person knows God. I can feel his presence on them. I can feel his love through them. It's a sweet thing when in your life and others' lives, there's this confirmation of godliness. 
that you are really walking with God, and I want that for myself, and I want that for all of us. Now, John talks about the opposite. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So John's writing to this church, and in this church, if you remember, there was a group of people who stopped believing in Jesus as Lord, and they left the church. And it seems like they're still claiming to know God and be his followers. And John is writing to address that situation and clarify that those who do not keep the commandments of God as a lifestyle do not actually know God. Their lives demonstrated that their confession was false. They deceived themselves and other people and were not authentic. Friends, we must not think that if we give ourselves over to our sin as a daily habit and do not regularly turn back to God and repent of our sin, that we actually know him. The word says that if we completely give our loyalty our love, our devotion, and our life to our sin, we do not actually know God. It's a good reminder for us today. In this life, we will inevitably commit sin, but when we do, we must not give ourselves over to it, but give ourselves over to repentance. Right? We dare not think that we could ever come into a relationship with the greatest being in the universe and not be changed at all. Because Is that even possible? Could you actually meet the one who created you, meet the one, and know the one who created all things, and then just be the same person like you never met him? It'd be like if someone came back and they said, I just saw the Grand Canyon. I, I was on a vacation and I saw the Grand Canyon. And you said to them, well, how was it? And their answer was, I don't know, I didn't, wasn't that impressed by it. it, it I didn't like it that much. Um, I actually really enjoyed going to the restaurant down the road. I think your response to that person would be, I don't think you actually saw it. I don't think you were actually there. In the same way, when we look and live the exact same way as we did before we met the unchanging God who created everything. We must think, maybe I've never met him. If this describes you this morning, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. I've been here before. And the good news is that as long as you're breathing, God's calling you to come back. Right? Our God will never turn away someone who returns to him. Ever. So the response is, is if you're walking in your sin, it's not to despair, but to come home. 
And so I just want to invite anyone who's there who's despairing this morning to come home because there's a God who's ready to welcome you back just like he welcomed the prodigal son. Let's keep walking through this passage and hearing what else John has to say. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So verse 5 says that whenever we keep his word, which is another way of saying to keep his commandments. Whenever we keep his word, in him, the love of God is truly perfected. What does that mean? For God's love to be perfected means that it reaches its conclusion or its goal or its purpose. So when God's calling you to keep his commandments, he doesn't just want you to be a good religious person that checks off his commandments. He's not OCD and just likes things to be done a certain way. That's not God. God has a goal and purpose for every one of us in calling us to keep his commandments. He has something he's trying to do. He has somewhere he's trying to lead us. He has in mind a certain kind of person that he's trying to make you and me into. Who is that person he's trying to make us into? What's the goal he has in mind for us in our commandment keeping? Right, we see this now in the next verse, in the next words, as he continues to unpack his idea. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, that means has that a relationship of knowing him that brings life. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Who, who, who walked? Jesus. Yeah, so like when it's talking about someone walking, it's talking about Jesus, the person of God, who took on a human nature and walked in this world as we walk in this world. So what John is saying is that God's goal in loving us and calling us to be commandment keepers is to make us as much like Jesus as possible. To make you as much like Jesus as possible if he were you and had your relationships and your job and lived where you lived. Which means his goal is to turn you into someone who's more godly, more loving, more humble, more bold than you ever imagined you could be. That's what he's calling you to do in commandment keeping is to make you completely unrecognizable from who you were before you met him. Isn't that good news? Which means, church, that commandment keeping is not about checking things off a list. It's about becoming as much like the person God has designed you to be as possible. And something beautiful happens when your life increasingly becomes like Jesus. And who you used to be increasingly becomes unrecognizable. You get assurance that you belong to him. Do you want that kind of life? Do we want that kind of life together where we don't live with doubt and anxiety of whether or not I'm a Christian because the evidence of our transformed lives is so powerful and confirming? That would be so good. 
That would be so good. Now John's going to keep discussing these same things with us and give us some more details in these next verses. So let's look at verse 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and true in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Is anyone else confused? So John's goal here with these phrases and words is not to confuse you and not to confuse any one of us. His goal is to state the same things he's already been saying in new creative ways so that we meditate on them and they go deeper. So the Bible is not trying to confuse you. The Bible is trying to draw you in to meditate and think so that God will change and transform us as we do that. So John uses the phrase in these verses, a new commandment, right? That's a phrase that should jump out because Jesus used that phrase and John wrote about it, right? So when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he took off his robe and washed his disciples' feet. Then after that, he said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So loving one another as Jesus loved us is probably the new commandment that John has in mind here. But he starts off by saying, it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment. Now why would he say that? So by this point in John's life, He's an old man when he's writing this letter, and it had been many decades since Jesus gave this command. And in the span of that time, that command to love one another as Christ has loved us had not changed at all. That was the simple gospel message that Christians have believed and practiced, John says, since the very beginning. It's the message that you have heard. It's the simple and unchanging message that Christians everywhere at all times have embraced. And now, two millennia later, that commandment has not changed at all, and it never will change until Jesus comes back. It's still an old commandment and an old message and an old unchanging path on which we walk together. And as the world around us changes, as its morality changes, as its philosophies change, the way of Jesus never changes. We walk on a sure path that's always fixed, always sure, always headed in the same direction, and we'll always believe the same old gospel together. Amen? Yet, at the same time, John says, it is a new commandment. Wait, what, John? This old commandment is actually a new commandment at the same time? Are you contradicting yourself? No, he's writing in a mysterious, creative way so that we can reflect and see all that he's trying to communicate to us. The 
The first thing he says is that it's true in him and true in you, this new, old new commandment. What this means for it to be true in him is talking about Jesus, true in him. And what that word true likely means is truly expressed. So there's always been this command since the beginning for God's people to love one another. And when Jesus came, he truly expressed it like no one had ever expressed it before. Jesus showed what sacrificial love is like, like no one who ever lived. He gave fresh expression and fresh revelation of what the command to love each other is like. It's a new commandment because Jesus gives us fresh examples, fresh life, fresh meaning to what it means. And then the very next thing John says is that it's true in you. So it's true in Jesus because he gives it fresh life, fresh meaning, fresh expression. And if it's true in you, what does that mean? That you get to give this commandment fresh life, fresh expression, and fresh meaning. John's back to the idea of walking like Jesus walked. We're all supposed to treat each other how we would if Jesus were us. When someone's around you, they should be learning more what Jesus is like because of the fresh, creative ways that we find to love each other. Right? There's always new needs to be met, always new ways to meet them, and this command to love each other never grows old, never grows bored, never grows tired, as long as we're looking for these ways to creatively love each other in new, fresh ways. And this commandment, the old commandment, is always new among us. I would just love that. If it, every, I'd actually feel like this, that as I follow Jesus in this church family, I'm always being amazed by the ways people are loving each other in new creative ways, and it's awesome because it's what God meant for us. He also says it's a new commandment because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There's a lot of dense teaching packed into this little verse. John's using the images of light and of darkness to define what he's talking about. Now, light is something that symbolizes life and love. Why do I say that? Because if you turn back to the first pages of the Bible, what's the first thing God says when he creates? Let there be light. And what follows is a world of life and love. There's all sorts of beings who are alive, and human beings, the crown of that creation, love God and love one another. Darkness is the opposite of light and indicates death and hatred, which after our first parents sinned, they took this world, which was good, and turned it into a place of darkness, of death and hatred, instead of light and life. And the first, one of the first stories after the world falls is the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain kills Abel, where his hatred leads him to bring death 
and it's a picture of darkness. So there's an original creation that was light, life, and love. There's our present world that's dark, death, and hatred. And then Jesus showed up and lived as a human being among us. And he started creating again as God did at the start. That's what he showed up here to do, to create again, just like God did at the start. But instead of creating a new world, he starts by creating new people with new hearts. And what that means is that those people with new hearts begin to live with light, life, and love again, like God intended for it to be at the start. Now, when Jesus comes back at the end, he will bring a new world, and then all there will be is light, life, and love. We have a lot of hope, don't we, church? So what does it mean that the darkness is passing away? It means that darkness and hatred are expiring. It means that their days are counting down. It means that every day that passes, we're one day closer to Jesus coming back and putting an end to it forever. And what does it mean that the true light is already shining? It means that God has already started to give us new hearts. It means that we're already starting to become new people. And we already start to get to love with the love that will be everywhere present in the world when Jesus makes it new. And live with the love that was everywhere present when he first made it. We get new hearts that finally get to love other Christians and other people how God meant it to be, not as the world turned it into. That's what John means when he says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So it's a new commandment in the sense that we have new hearts to carry it out. I've been calling us, the word has been calling us all morning to love like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And I could never do that. You could never do that unless God were to put a new heart in us that's like Jesus' heart to care for other people. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus came and made us new. We start to live as new people with new hearts as we await a new creation. John's going to keep unpacking and explaining these ideas now in verse 9. He's going to keep showing us these overlapping realities that we've been talking about of life, light, and love, and death, darkness, and hatred. Verse 9, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. In other words, whoever says, I'm a new creation of God, I, I, I have a new heart, but then lives with a heart of hatred towards their Christian brothers and sisters shows that they don't actually have a new heart. Right? John's using this phrase brothers here, and what he means by that is specifically those in the same church community as you. Now it's true the Bible calls us to love everyone, and God calls us to love all Christians, but there's a special call, there's a special emphasis on the fact that we need to love the people that we worship God with and do life with. 
these people here with us in this room, God has given us a special priority and a special call to specifically love one another. And if we don't do that, if we hate those of us who are around us, we show that our hearts actually have not become new yet, that we've not actually come alive yet, that we're still in darkness, we're still in the death and hatred of our old selves in the old world. But then on the other hand, John says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. On the other hand, as John has been writing again and again, when we love one another with new hearts, it's revealed again and again to us that we're new creations. God has made us new. We're not our old selves any longer. We're the new people God has called us to be. And then he says, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In him there is no cause for stumbling. When you become the new person God's called you to be, you lead people away from sin rather than into sin. Do you know that? Before you walked with Jesus, your life testified that sin was important and self was important and you were walking towards death and leading other people to death along with you. But now that God's changed you, now that God's rescued you and your life and your heart and your desires have changed, now as people watch how you live, you lead people away from sin rather than into sin. You pe lead people into life rather than into death. And then John, as he does so often in this letter, he keeps going back and forth, reiterating himself and repeating himself so that we understand him fully. He says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The one hating his Christian siblings still walks in darkness. Walks not as Jesus walked, but as the world walked, and deceives him or herself and deceives other people. This is all stuff John's already said in this verse. It's a repetition of it. I want to say a quick word about hatred, lest we each excuse ourselves and say, well, I've never killed anyone like Cain killed Abel, so I must not struggle with hatred. Okay, so hatred, as far as I can tell, is not just when you're violent and not just when you're filled with rage. It's when we fall short of the standard of sacrificial love that Jesus laid down for us. That's hatred. If love and hatred are two distinct categories and love is the sacrificial standard of caring for others that Jesus showed us, a lack of love is falling short of that standard which means hatred can look a whole lot of different ways and can be a whole lot more subtle than any of us might think. The envy that was in Cain's heart before he killed his brother, when that envy for our brothers and sisters are in our hearts and leads us to a cool or distant relationship with someone, that's an example of hatred. A response of apathy 
to the needs of other people in this community is a response of hatred or an apathy that blinds you to the needs of other people in this community. Or, as is in the case of this church that John is writing to, withdrawing from the church community, leaving the church community is an example of hatred. Or, as in my case, like if someone else sins against me or hurts me, I tend to withdraw, I tend to flee from that person and separate from them. So what I'm saying is that hatred can be subtle, and it can look like envy, it can look like apathy, and it can look like withdrawing. And my friends, I want to say to you this morning that I struggle with all of these, which makes me so thankful for Jesus, because Jesus forgives me of my envy, forgives me of my apathy, forgives me of my withdrawing and changes me so that I no longer walk in those patterns, but walk in a pattern of love towards my brothers and sisters. You see, when Jesus came, he faced hatred. He faced hatred from his own disciples. He faced hatred from the priests who lied about him and falsely accused him. He faced hatred from the soldiers who mocked him. And he faced hatred from all people when he was nailed to a tree. And yet when he was doing that, it was the greatest act of love because he was laying down his life for people who hated them so that he could love them and rescue them and turn them into people who love other people as well. We have a God who takes people who are consumed with hatred, absorbs their hatred, dies for their hatred, so that he can love them and turn them into people who love. That's why we can be people who have hatred in our heart, like me, and struggle with hatred in our heart, and become people who love people like Jesus loved us because of what he did. That's the good news that he's showing us this morning. So what will it look like if we embrace this teaching together? Well, first of all, it'll be very practical. Like you could think right now, someone in this church community you're struggling to love, someone you're struggling to be close to. You can think through that situation and think, man, Jesus loved me in this way. Now how am I going to respond to this person? Right? Like, if someone hurts you and you're tempted to withdraw, I hurt Jesus in all these ways and he didn't withdraw from me. So, how am I going to respond to this person who's hurt me? As we embrace this teaching, we will continue to grow into a family that sacrificially loves each other. We will continue to be a place where we not only hear the gospel, but see and feel it in the way that we treat one another, will become like the gospel. We'll continue to get glimpses of what Jesus is like and what the world will be like when he makes it new. Man, I've loved the ways that I've seen this family love. I've loved it. I've loved the endless meal trains. I love the way my MC responded to the Bizees a couple days ago when Eric hurt his back and people were jumping in on making meals for them right away. I've loved how the Hubbards and their Sirharskis 
have served the Bree Tags and helped them with their snow removal this winter when it was so hard. I love how Russ didn't just receive love, but also gave it, reaching out to Eric, someone in my MC who is in a point of need and needs people to care for him. I've loved watching the young adults in our community make space in their lives for teens and invest in our beloved teens. I've seen so many glimpses of what Jesus is like through this family. And it's a work of God. And this passage is calling to this, us to this all the more. All the more. These tastes and glimpses of what Jesus is like and what the world will one day be like are ways that God means to assure us that we're really his own. So as we continue to love like we've been loved, we'll continue to get assurance from God that we're really his own. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for pursuing us when we were unlovely, when we were full of hate. We hated you and you loved us. So please help us respond with greater acts of love and care for those in our family than we ever would or ever could. Amen. Just invite you during this time of reflection just to ask yourself two questions. Who in this church family is hard for you to love? And how would it look for you to grow in loving them? And what's one need of someone else in this community that we are currently not meeting, and how could you meet that need?